Each week we have been acknowledging the fact that our young people are studying in the Bible Bowl the book of 1 Corinthians. And it's been our purpose on Sunday mornings to try to cover this same material in order to encourage our young people as well as to study for the Lord's church here. I do honestly believe that the book of 1 Corinthians is an essential book for the Lord's church today. Many of the problems which that first century church was facing are the same kind of problems which our Lord's church faces today. As you get to chapter 15, talking about the great resurrection. And you see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is essential to our faith. It is at the very heart of Christianity. If you take the resurrection, particularly the resurrection of Christ, out of the gospel message, it's no longer good news. And yet we realize in the first century there were people who denied it, there were those who doubted it, and then there were those who distorted it. Let me illustrate that to you for just a moment. In Matthew chapter 22 and verse 23, Jesus confronted the Sadducees. We learned that the Sadducees are those who say there is no resurrection. Later on, the Lord would confront and Paul would confront those Sadducees who would deny that the resurrection had occurred. When Paul went to the city of Athens in Acts chapter 17, in verse 18 we read that those Epicurean and Stoic philosophers It says that he is a babbler. What does this babbler want to say? Because he preached Jesus to them and the resurrection. And you get to verse 32. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. There are people who doubt whether or not there was a resurrection to take place. And when we go to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 18... Paul would write, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. We recognize that there was then, just as there are today, people who deny, people who doubt, and people who distort the resurrection that is taught in scriptures. And so Paul provided for them a wonderful chapter 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that address this important subject. The outline that we will use will be very simply, let's skip one other passage, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, or chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, where he talks about he's begotten us again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so we will look at the chapter like this. Verses 1 through 11 will be the proof of the resurrection. Verses 12 through 19 will be the preaching of the resurrection. Verses 20 through verse 34 will be the power of it. And then finally, verses 35 through verse 58 will be the purpose of it. And I know that when I'm sitting and listening to someone else, and I hear there are 58 verses to cover, you tend to think there's a whole lot that we're going to have to move swiftly to be able to understand, and we will in our lesson today. Let's begin with those first 11 verses. And let's see the emphasis on the proof of it. Because Paul's going to begin by explaining the resurrection did happen, and there are proofs for it. 
Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and which you also stand, by which also you're saved if you hold fast the word that I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, and then by the twelve, after we seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And after that He was seen by James, and then by all the apostles. Then last of all, He was seen by me also as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, and who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they... So we preached, and so you believed. You see, the truth is, the gospel revolves around the resurrection. When you and I think about this life here on earth, we are born, we live our lives, and then we die. And if you think about death and what it means, the good news of the gospel is is that we are raised from the dead. Death's not the end. And Paul said, that's the gospel message which we preach to you. It is good news, something that you want to hear. But he emphasizes that this is according to the scriptures. God had planned this in the very beginning. God had his prophets to preach this message. We could spend a lot of time tracing throughout the Old Testament the various passages which emphasize just what Paul said, that he died according to the Scriptures. He was buried, he was raised again the third day according to the Scriptures. We could easily spend hours in Isaiah 53 by itself. But let me just direct you to one New Testament passage. Luke chapter 24, verse 25. He said, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. After the Lord had been resurrected, why do you not believe what the prophets have told you? Because this is according to the Scriptures. But as one thinks about the proof, not only do you have the promise that is revealed in Scriptures, but second of all, you have the numerous eyewitnesses that saw Jesus after He had been raised from the dead. We understand that the Lord appeared to Peter. We understand the Lord appeared to the twelve apostles, minus Judas, of course. And then he appeared to over 500 brethren at one time. There were people who Paul said were still alive. And you could go to them and say to them, Did you see Jesus risen from the dead? And you say, Yes, I saw him. In fact, he says 500 Brethren at once. And Paul says he was privileged to preach this. He said, I am 
who I am by the very grace of God. But he says, that grace in me made me want to work as hard as I possibly can. And he said, it was a privilege for me to preach that. And it was a privilege for them to be able to believe it as well. Those first 11 verses there of chapter 15 prove without doubt that Jesus did rise from the dead and that that could be verified by the prophets and by the testimony of faithful witnesses and by the preaching of that gospel. Because we must move swiftly, I want to move now to verses 12 through 19 where Paul will then segue into the idea of the preaching of it. He says, now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. And yes, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified that God raised up the Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, it's empty, it's vain. And you're still in your sins and then also those who fallen asleep in Christ, have perished. If in this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. You see, the message was preached, but some were denying it. How does some say among you there is no resurrection of the dead? There were people in the church at Corinth who were in reality denying that Jesus had risen from the dead. You think about the significance of that for just a moment. But that was something understood clearly from prophecy. I mentioned to you earlier, Isaiah 53, in verse 1, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Paul will repeat that in Romans chapter 10 and verse 16. Acts 23, 6 and verse 3, speaking to Felix and to Agrippa, why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Why should you be so surprised that the resurrection of the dead takes place? But if a person does deny the resurrection, then there are some certain conclusions that have to follow from that. If you believe there is no resurrection of the dead, Paul said, I want you to understand the things that are going to follow from that. He said, number one, our preaching is worthless. I want you to think about how many hours you have spent listening to preaching. I started doing a little calculating this morning about how many hours a year I spend preaching. It made me incredibly tired. And then I got to thinking about how long it, that if the hours I spent preaching, you spent listening. And I know that would make you tired as well. But Paul says our preaching would be worthless. 
Because that's what we preach, that Jesus is risen from the dead. But he said, then your faith would be worthless. It would be empty. What you had believed in would mean nothing. And then they, those who had seen the risen Lord, like Paul had. He said, what you're saying is we're liars. We're false witnesses. I want you to imagine if something were to happen here this morning, approximately 300 plus people here this morning. And you were to witness maybe someone walk in the pulpit and say something. And someone come along and say, that didn't happen. And you say, but I was there. I saw it. I know what happened. And someone who wasn't here say, no, 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 that didn't happen. That's what they're saying to Paul. They're saying, Paul, you're a liar. You're not telling the truth. And if Jesus was still in the tomb, there would be no forgiveness for sins. If the body and the bones of our Lord still are in and around the city of Jerusalem today, then you and I are wasting our time. The preaching is worthless. The believing is worthless. Those who had said they saw him were truly liars. And we're still in our sins because if the Lord's not who he said he was, and if he didn't do what he said he would do and did do it, then he's not the Savior. And then the final observation from that is the dead have perished. There's no hope for them. There's no future for them. And then those of us who are living, if all we have hope in just this life, we're to be pitied. And so Paul would look at all this and say, certainly when we preach the resurrection, there's got to be more to it than that. Now let's pick up with verse 20 and go through verse 34. And let's look at the power of this resurrection. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ, the first fruits. Afterward, those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. And when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that is to be destroyed or will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now when, he had, now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what shall they do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead do not rise at all, why then are they baptized for the dead? And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you, which 
I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If in the manner of men I fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me if the dead do not rise? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. For I speak this to your shame. There's a definite change from the negative tone to the positive tone. When he's talked about the preaching of it previously, he's talked about some denying it, what that meant. But now he says, but Christ is risen from the dead. It's not something in doubt, it's something to affirm. And then Paul says, look at what we lost in Adam and what we have regained in Christ. For through one man came death, and then through one man came the resurrection of the dead. Much like that in Romans chapter 5, verses 17 and 19, Paul would talk about the one man's offense Reign through the one, much more shall the, we shall receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign through the one. Talking about Jesus Christ. Verse 19, through one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. By one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Look what we lost in Adam, but look what we've regained in Christ. Not only what we lost, but even more. And this brings about the defeat of the ultimate enemy, which is death. Death is what stops man. But I listen to Paul as he preaches in Romans, or excuse me, Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. And he says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Paul said, I want to know the power of that resurrection. And he said in verse 11, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Also, that's what my focus is upon. Why would anyone be willing to risk death if there was not a resurrection and the power in it? Paul would talk about fighting against what he called wild beast at Ephesus. Putting his life in jeopardy. Why would he do that? Were it not for the fact that he was confident that there would be a resurrection of the dead. Why, is he asked in verse 29, would one be baptized for the dead? People get often confused about that verse, but the ones who are baptized are the people who were alive when they were baptized, but now they're dead. Why would people go through being baptized if they didn't have a confidence in the resurrection of the dead? Because you see what baptism, according to Romans chapter 6, involves You die, you're buried, and you are raised again. That's what baptism represents. And so a person here would go through that. Verse 32, he said, If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If there is no resurrection of the dead, everybody should just enjoy whatever they could get out of this life because there wouldn't be anything left afterwards. And let me tell you, a lot of people are living like that today. Paul warns the church in verse 33. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. 
You allow people to tell you, don't worry about life or death. Worry about enjoying life now and what will happen in the church. People will live for the here and now instead of the hereafter. Which leads me to the long section, beginning with verse 35 and going through verse 58. I'm not going to be able to read all of this section. I do want to, if you will, cherry pick some verses out of there and then us to look at that. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow the body that shall be, but a mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. That's an important observation that he makes here with regards to the purpose of it. He will then talk about all different kinds of flesh, like the flesh of animals and the flesh of fish. And then he'll talk about the celestial bodies. He'll talk about one having one glory and another, like the sun and the moon, And the stars, verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. And then he says in verse 44, there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And then he goes on to talk about as we have borne the image Of the earthly man, the first man, the man of dust, he said, we'll bear the image of the heavenly man. And then I want to get to verse 50, and I'll read a few verses here. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. And so when this corruptible is put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You see, the truth is, The nature and the purpose of the resurrection brought about in their minds, just like as it does in our minds, what's going to happen? I want you to notice the questions that were asked and think about yourself. Are these not also your questions? For instance, how does this happen? When Jesus comes again and the archangel sounds and the trumpet sounds, 
and you and I are raised from our graves, how does that happen? You know, that's got to be um, a, a source of interest, at least to everybody. Number two, the question is, what kind of body will be raised? That was specifically one of their questions. And I've had that question posed to me probably hundreds of times since I've been preaching. What kind of body is it going to be? What kind of body is it going to be? My response is generally twofold. To turn to 1 Corinthians 15 and read this. And when I read it, people say, but that doesn't answer my question. And my response is, if that doesn't answer your question, I can't answer it. But then I will point out to them that we do have some further indications. It will be a bodily resurrection. But when I go to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him even as He is. John writing years after this, who was, by the way, one of the witnesses of the resurrection, said, it is not yet been revealed. I am satisfied to say it's not yet been revealed. What I do know is, is that we will be like him. Now, if John had said we're going to be exactly like Jesus was when he came out of the tomb, he could have said we'll be just like he was. But he says we shall be like he is. And when you listen to what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body. Lowly body conformed to His glorious body. I don't know what it's going to look like. And I know that Paul goes on to explain here the nature of bodies, like those that are the bodies of animals, the bodies of plants, even the bodies of the heavenly bodies. And he says there's a distinction. But we know that it will be different. This final section, though, is optimistic because it's anticipating the Lord's return and because it brings about victory. That's the word he uses. The victory which we have that overcomes this world. Now people are naturally concerned with what's going to happen when this life is over. But I want to emphasize to you that there's much that we do not know but what we do know about the great resurrection of the dead is that it will be so much better. Listen to John as he writes in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. 
I don't know about some of you, as I get a little bit older and I get up in the morning, there's pain involved. And it seems as with every day passing, it gets to be a little more difficult, a little more challenging, but I look forward to the day where there will be no more pain. There will be no more sorrow. Because there will be the great resurrection day. The question for us is, where's our resurrection going to lead us? We know that everyone's going to be raised from the graves. John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. Do not marvel, for the hour is coming which all that are in the graves will hear His voice and come forth. Those that have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Here's where we're going to end the lesson this morning. It's a matter of choice as to where I want to be resurrected to. I can be resurrected to enjoy the victory that is offered by our Lord if I am obedient to His will. On the other hand, I can be raised to eternal condemnation if I refuse Him. We're going to sing the song, Why Keep Jesus Waiting. If you're not a Christian, believe in Him. Repent of your sins, confess your faith in Him, and be baptized. The Lord will then add you to His body, the church, where you will enjoy all the blessings and the hope for an eternal life. And if you're a wayward child of God, why not let's pray together. We know that our God is merciful. He's willing to forgive. We're going to sing the song, Why Keep Jesus Waiting. Would you come as together we stand and sing?